to the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. This series is a reflection on the systematic use of data for handling the disasters and effective decisions for post-disaster recovery. It focuses on the role of data at each stage of the disaster management cycle that are mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. This podcast series would be offering examples of various disasters and the timely decisions taken to reduce the impact of the disaster and minimize the losses. This series is brought to you jointly by CoData, Tomkin and Taylor, and Center for Applied Geomatics, Theft Research and Development Foundation. Via this series, we bring to you reflections on the interdisciplinary approaches and the innovative use of data taken by various cities for disaster risk reduction, offering examples of good practices and lessons learned. Hi, this is Shelly Gandhi from CEPT Research and Development Foundation. Today, we bring to you an episode on data for loss and damage assessment. In this episode, we have Animesh Kumar, head UNDRR office in Bonn, and Bapon Fakhruddin, chair CoData Task Group, FAIR DRR. I welcome you both on this episode and look forward to a very engaging conversation. Thank you so much, Shelly, for inviting us. It's been a pleasure to be here. And also thanks to Animesh to joining us with his uh, very busy schedule. We can just start with Sendai Framework monitoring systems, which is all the, all the countries there are actually committed to achieve the Sendai framework. And also one of the major outcomes for Sendai is to substantial reduction of losses. And if you just look at the perspectives, the loss and damage data is like the core heart of Sendai monitoring systems. And the basic fundamental purpose is how that could let us understand what is happening or in the in the globally, either it's the disaster is increasing or disaster is decreasing at the same time, how a country could understand their overall risk assessment for current situation as well as for the future. And always there is a, a thrives in that how we better uh, collect our overall data management system for risk assessment, which is hazard database, exposure database, vulnerability database, to integrating together to better understand our impact and application in the field. And I think that's where the major challenge comes. I maybe like to request Animesh that there has been so much development done under your leadership to integrating this hazard exposure and vulnerability data set and how you see actually that globally, UNDRR as well as your partner agencies are actually leading this to reducing those kind of gaps those that exist in this loss and data management system. Yeah, thanks, Bapun, and thanks to Shelly as well for inviting me and for a very engaging and interesting conversation. As we are heading towards the COP27, indeed, loss and damage will continue to be high on the agenda of everyone for this COP, as is the case with uh, all what we do in the field of disaster reduction. If I take a step back and try to understand how do we measure our success in whatever we do in the context of resilience building, if we look back at the own history of disaster reduction, going back to, say, the Yokohama strategy, starting with the International Decade for Natural Disaster Reduction, we didn't really have a monitoring system for disaster reduction at that point of time. The first monitoring system for disaster reduction came with the Hyogo framework in 2005 that was adopted months after the 2004 Indian tsunami. Now, when we look at the Hyogo framework, the monitoring system was targeted towards tracking the actions. So more like a standard log frame in terms of what the countries are doing how much are they investing into disaster reduction? Or how much are the coordination mechanisms that they are developing? 
So all of the monitoring system was targeted in context of the inputs to the action rather than the outcomes of the action. At the end of the Hyogo framework by 2015, we realized that while countries are showing good progress or reporting good progress in disaster reduction, the impact of disasters or losses and damages are also rising at the same time. And this didn't make a lot of sense to us because we would assume that if countries are making good progress on disaster reduction, then the losses and damages or disaster, we were tracking the inputs to a bigger outcome and not the outcome itself. Something which has become very relevant in context of the ongoing loss and damage discussion, in context of the global goal on adaptation, which is also ongoing discussion within the UNFCCC mechanisms, as well as the global stock take of the Paris Agreement, which is also ongoing. So I must say that we, we have made a lot of progress in terms of our own understanding, which has evolved. But yes, data remains a challenge in terms of what we attract. Thanks a lot, Animesh, for providing a precise background and summary. When, as a disaster community, we try to understand our overall risk assessment, present risk we based on the past historical data set, but when, while we are actually looking at the future risk assessment, it always actually embedded with some of the climate change aspect. And how you see that some of those uh, data collected through the Sendai as well as SDG and throughout their other kind of networking, how that could be quite helpful for the climate change community as the COP27 is coming up, especially on their economic and non-economic losses that they are talking about, especially on San Diego framework as well as the Warsaw International Mechanism for Loss and Damage Assessment. Yeah. So one of the key benefits of collecting the impact data is that it helps understand the impact of climate change. I mean, in fact, if we look at it in a straightforward way, disasters are the biggest evidence of impact of climate change. Otherwise, how would we know that the, there is an impact of climate change? So, and if we don't tra track our loss and damage coming out from the climate-related uh, phenomena, we really can't put an evidence to what we are saying. And hence, tracking of that evidence becomes very significant. Now, in context of looking into the future, the most important aspect of it, what I can see is that uh, often the risk models or even climate change risk models are based on probabilistic models. And one, they would need the data to build on the model. But secondly, they would also need hardcore data to calibrate the model. So I think in that context, uh, the probabilistic risk assessments looking into the future together with the deterministic risk assessments and then the historical loss and damage data are three core pillars of our full spectrum understanding of risk. Now, this is easier said than done because one, we know that the linearity in disaster reduction is no more the case. Disasters are becoming more and more complicated, complex, as both the IPCC report this year, as well as the global assessment report this year have pointed out that uh, not only the, the risks, risks are becoming more and more cascading, but they're also becoming unpredictable. The same disasters in the same place are behaving differently, which keeps challenging our early warning system. And Bapun, you know more than I do in terms of one of the key things we have highlighted in our recent report on early warning systems is in context of uh, the changing nature of hazard, because the early warning systems are tuned to monitoring the hazard given the nature of the hazard as we know it. But if that nature of hazard keeps changing every time it occurs, it challenges the early warning systems. And we have seen that in many cases. We have seen that in the context of cyclones in the eastern coast of India recently. We have seen that in happening in context of tsunamis, 
not only in context of earthquakes, but other factors resulting in tsunami as we saw in 2018 in Indonesia. So that's something which at the end of it, if we don't keep doing a forensic analysis of the disasters that have happened, we will not be able to strengthen our disaster management measures and we will not be able to understand how the risks keep changing as we move forward. Now, this becomes very interesting in context of the loss and damage discussion, as you mentioned, the Warsaw International Mechanism, but also the Santiago Network that you mentioned, which would be another point of negotiation at the COP27, which focuses on providing technical assistance to the developing countries. And data is continuing to be a big need of all the developing vulnerable countries. Yep. I just like to echo with you as well as just adding one point that in my opinion is like probably often either underestimating our risk or overestimating because of proper utilization of the data set. We often have accessibility of direct damage data, uh, which is in a monetary value or maybe the insured loss database. But there are actually a lot of indirect losses. There are reversible losses, irreversible losses. Those are completely uncounted. And whether we not incorporate those things into the risk assessment, and or actually are overestimating. At the same time, there is a lot of interoperability issue, I believe, because if you look at even the loss assessment, there are PDNA, there are in risk, there are lots of agencies that are using their own tools and techniques, but how those are actually interoperable each other is yet a big question how we can come up with a one unified platform so that our data could be overall talk each other, machine could read those data set and able to understand overall scenario for risk assessment. Yeah, I think there are two parts of this discussion, Bapun. One is in context of uh, need for quantifying of data and the other in context of interoperability across systems. I mean, this is something which is an ongoing discussion, in, including in context of the non-economic losses, where in a recent uh, workshop on non-economic losses hosted by the government of Ireland, I questioned the very term non-economic losses because I feel it's a bit deliberating, a belittling of the term itself that one we want to put a dollar value to what we lose. And then we say, okay, things which we cannot put a dollar value on are non-economic losses. I think that's not the right way to approach losses because the very fact that we cannot quantify a loss and we cannot put a dollar value to a loss makes it invaluable rather than trying to make it keep it as a challenge. And hence, I'm surprised the loss of human life or loss of ecosystems are often considered to be non-economic losses or loss of cultural heritage is considered to be a non-economic loss and they're invaluable losses, not just non-economic losses. Now, moving and taking a step back with that, uh, do we really need to quantify everything that we lose? Yes, it does give, it's always good to have the right numbers, but I think we need to move on from the urge to put a dollar value to everything that we lose and make a strong case that there are things that we cannot quantify, the things that we cannot price and hence, there is a better need and stronger need to avert, minimize, and address those losses. So that would be my take in context of uh, quantification. But indeed, where we can quantify, it's very important because unless we quantify, we cannot price risk. And if we cannot price risk, we cannot adopt the right risk management strategy on how much to avert, how much to minimize, and how much to address, or in risk management terms, how much to accept, absorb, transfer, including through insurance means. It's very important that uh, as the new and new systems are being developed, we are increasingly talking about interoperability. This is something which we have also been working on. In fact, UNDRR is in the process of developing a system called Risk Information Exchange that would actually bring together different uh, data sets in one place. 
UNDRR also has a very good uh, loss and da damage database called disinventor.net, publicly accessible. These disaster loss databases have been in existence for the last 25 years. We are actually having a new generation disaster data system being developed as we speak. And then we have the Sendai framework monitoring system. There is the SDG monitoring system. And all of these are huge data sets, which are all official in nature. And when I say official in nature, they, we mean reported officially by the governments. But then we also have the huge domain of work ongoing in the private sector, in the civil society, in the development sector. Now, the key issue when it comes to interoperability is that data conventionally often has been primarily been vested with the state, with the governments. But now, because most data are held by private entities, we need a kind of a compact or an international uh, agreement that engages both the governments or the UN member states, for example, but also non-state stakeholders or corporations in the private sector companies. Because unless we have that kind of a cooperation, we will not be able to get the full picture of data. Now, what does this mean in context of interoperability? will always remain a challenge because there would be an issue of uh, sharing of codes and so on. And I will stop there because I'm not the technical. No, that's absolutely right. I think as long as we are able to maintain a standardization of data and metadata, their process interoperability and understanding the overall hazard and how that could be translated into an impact, that's, I think, quite important. And I think if we can able to achieve that, that would be the best. And since Sendai uh, started the co-data also trying to promote how I can ensure a fair principle into the data, all over the all data data mechanism that each data should be findable, data should be accessible, data should be interoperable, and that data should be reusable, putting into context that the private data set or personal data set should be secure at the same time. But if the data is actually for the global goods, it should be accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bapun, uh, maybe for the benefit of our listeners as well, uh, if you could also elaborate a bit of uh, the terms that you just use, codata, fair principles, what are they? Yeah, so codata is actually a committee for data, and they try to promote the global data mechanism systems, which is a part of like International Science Council. So they talk about all sorts of data set. It's a chemistry, physics, biology. There is one component, which is like a disaster and climate change. And where I chair uh, together with Professor Lee in the, in the Chinese Academy of Science, Virginia Muri was at the executive committee of CoData. So you're trying to promote all this policy brief since, yeah, I think, 2015 especially on the disaster loss data set and how to ensure the Sendai monitoring database, as well as recently we published a paper with the Genty on risk-informed database, a 10 recommendation that actually proposed in that paper how countries should enable or enhance their data storing mechanism or data collection mechanism using some fundamental principles. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bapon and Animesh for making time for this episode. It was really interesting and the conversation was very engaging talking about Sendai framework data and data standards for loss and damage assessment, how important it is to have these data sets correctly curated and placed. And also talking about the importance of interoperability, not only in terms of technically having these data sets, but also making them understandable, reusable, and findable at the same place. So I thank you and we look forward to the next episode. Thanks. Thank you very much, Shelly. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to this episode from the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. If you like our podcast and want to know more about the series, check out our website www.crgf.org and follow us on social media. Please leave a review and like and share wherever you listen to the podcast.